Welcome to the Humanizing Workshop. Today we're talking about meetings. Wait, 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 don't skip the episode. We agree with you. We're having too many meetings and too many of them are a waste of time. But we can't just throw them out. Meetings are just multiple people getting aligned and making decisions interactively. No async technology can do this job as well as a good meeting. So the key move is to learn how to have effective meetings. But before we get to how to do that, this show is a free resource sponsored by the Humanizing Work Company. Humanizing Work exists to make work more fit for humans and humans more capable of doing great work. To that end, we do training and coaching in three areas. First, we help leaders lead empowered teams and individuals more effectively. Second, we help product people turn their ideas into good visions, experiments, and backlogs. And third, we help teams collaborate better to produce meaningful outcomes on complex work, including how to facilitate better meetings and working sessions. If you or your organization would benefit from better leadership, better product management, or better collaboration, and if you find our vision for doing that in a human-centric way, we have capacity to take on a few new clients in 2024. So visit the contact page on humanizingwork.com and schedule a conversation with us. All right, back to the meetings. The number one complaint we hear from most people is that we have too many meetings, and that's probably a true statement. We've seen some crazy calendars, but instead of just doing no meeting Fridays or just moving all meetings to an async tool like Slack or Teams, kind of the slash and burn approach, we recommend you think like a gardener. Which of these meetings are weeds that need to be pulled, and which are flowers that we should nurture? Those meetings that are the sort of flowers to protect and nurture probably enable at least one of three things that couldn't happen as well any other way. One, good meetings enable creativity. They allow something new to emerge in a way that could only happen live with these people. Those things could include an idea, a work product, a plan, a decision. Sometimes when a team says that we should just eliminate all of our meetings and then we'll be more productive, we'll share the example of a comedy writer's room. There's a really interesting episode of Adam Grant's show, which we'll link to in the show notes, called The Daily Show's Secret to Creativity. And in that show, they have actual audio of the writers working on the monologue for that evening's show. That's not something that could be done asynchronously, where everyone just sends in their ideas, then Trevor Noah kind of pulls through them and decides what jokes to tell. New ideas emerge through the discussion. And while your team probably isn't writing jokes for a TV show, You probably do need to be creative, and creativity often happens as a result of those different perspectives and ideas and backgrounds rubbing off on each other. And meetings enable this kind of creativity better than any other approach. Okay, second, good meetings can create shared awareness. They allow everyone to hear the same message at the same time and potentially discuss and interact with it. Yeah, one of our clients, Geonetric, had a long-standing practice of bi-weekly board meetings, but not the kind of board meeting you're probably picturing here. The board in this case was a rolling whiteboard. And at these meetings, teams at Geonetric would take turns wheeling their whiteboard with all of their plans, their progress, and other visualizations to a shared space, and then presenting them to the full company for Q&A. I remember attending one of these meetings, which were optional, and then being surprised that nearly the entire company attended. I think I saw maybe two or three people that weren't able to attend. And then they listened to the update from that week's team lead, which in this case included a skit about a new product release that the team had been working on. And then folks just peppered them with questions to get better clarity. An emailed status report would never create the same level of shared awareness. 
And then the third thing that good meetings can do is enable a specific kind of productivity. They can act as a forcing function to get something done that requires participation from multiple people who are otherwise busy and wouldn't get it done together. At our company, we have a quarterly meeting that shows up on the calendar as, quote, plug-in update extravaganza. Which makes and it sound more meeting, fun than it is. <laughs> yes. At this meeting, we all get together and slog through the very tedious process of updating WordPress plugins on our site. Uh, we update, update them on stage, then we test the results, then we push to production and test them again. And having many eyes on the problem makes the testing better. But just as importantly, no one wants to do this work. And we have to do it anyway. Having the meeting on our calendar is a forcing function for us to do the right thing, even when we all mildly dread it. The social pressure to show up and work together leads to a healthy outcome. Uh, bug triage meetings used to be like this on software teams I've worked on. And listeners probably have some other examples that come to mind as I describe this category. So if you have meetings that don't accomplish those three things, enabling creativity or decision making together, creating shared awareness or making space for productivity together, you probably don't need a meeting. So pull that weed. If you do need a meeting to do one of those things, there's still no guarantee it'll be a good meeting. In our experience, and no doubt in yours, the vast majority of meetings are poorly facilitated, if they're facilitated at all. They're rambling and unfocused, they're not very participative, they don't result in great decisions or outcomes, and they often have no clear action at the end. To be blunt, most meetings suck, and they're a waste of time. But they don't have to be that way, and it doesn't take very much effort to change them. If you need a meeting and you want to make sure it's a good one, get some help from David. Who's David? Well, David isn't a who. David's an acronym for five practices that increase your chances of having a productive, worthwhile meeting. Uh, big shout out, by the way, to our friend John Miller here, who constantly inspires us to come up with better acronyms to help remember important things. Thanks, John. All right. The acronym David stands for Define, Arrange, Visualize, Insulate, decide. Let's dive into each part of that. First, define. Always, always, always go into a meeting with a defined purpose for the meeting. Don't get a group of people together and pull them away from other work unless you have a good reason. When you send the invitation and kick the meeting off, start by reminding everyone why we're meeting every time so everyone knows what the meeting's for and how they can contribute. And by the way, if you can't come up with a good purpose for the meeting, a reason why it needs that group of people together in the same conversation, maybe it should be an email or a Slack message instead. Like we said a moment ago, not everything needs to be a meeting. The A in David stands for arrange. Have a plan for how you're going to run the meeting to achieve that purpose. Don't just get together and talk, hoping it'll end well. When it comes to the structure of a meeting, we really like ORID around game storming as a default, unless you have a reason to do otherwise. Let me explain what that means. Um, ORID, O-R-I-D, is a concept from a book called The Art of Focus Conversation, which is our single most favorite facilitation book. It's an acronym for four kinds of topics to cover in a particular order in your meetings. Um, o stands for observation. So you start by getting shared objective data so everybody's working from the same information. And by the way, you can bring in some of this data. So it's not necessarily generating it in the meeting, but it's pulling it together. Everybody's looking at the same thing. R stands for reflection. People have feelings about the data. Some things are exciting and motivating. Some are frustrating. That's important data itself, and it's going to affect the rest of the meeting anyway. So do something to make it part of the shared information. I stands for interpretation. Make sense of the data together. Look for patterns and meaning. 
And finally, D stands for decision. Do something to end the meeting with a decision based on the interpretation. So that's ORID, Observation, Reflection, Interpretation, Decision. And then the book Gamestorming layers a nice model on top of this. The authors of that book suggest that meetings go through one or more cycles of divergence, generating ideas and options, exploration, where you make sense of the ideas and options, and then convergence, where you narrow things down and make a decision. So you might use brainstorming early in a meeting as a divergent activity and voting late in a meeting as a convergent activity. And I think most importantly here, you should be aware that in the middle, that exploratory part can feel like what's sometimes called the groan zone. And that's normal and okay. As you work through those various structures, I think it's important to pay attention to how you're including all the participants in useful ways. When you facilitate the meeting to include everyone, you get the benefit of their contributions and you create more of a sense of connection between everyone in the room and a commitment to the outcome of that meeting. And the last thing I think we'd call out on a range is if it's a big, long, one-off meeting, it's particularly important to test your space or your tools in advance. People often complain about frustration with the room or with the virtual meeting tools. And while that's always important, the more people you have in a meeting and the longer it is, the more painful tool issues can feel. All right, to the middle of David, V, visualize, make the info visible somehow. Right, and there's lots of ways to do this. This could be sticky notes, Miro, a Google Doc, a whiteboard. Just do something so people can reason together about the shared info. And so you only have to talk about each item once. It drives me crazy in meetings when we're circling back over things because nobody's making it visible. So make it visible. And then second, sometimes it makes sense to share info in advance if it already exists in a structured form. And then you focus the meeting on engaging with the content. Uh, a warning though, be careful. This one only works if everyone comes prepared. It's really frustrating to be the one who prepared and then have to sit there while other people catch up. So sharing things in advance and making the most of that does depend on a certain organizational culture that you might have to build over time if you don't already have it. All right, on to the I, insulate. Insulate the meeting from distractions and tangents. That'll keep you from achieving the purpose. I like to use a parking lot for this, but how you use a parking lot matters. Let me explain. A parking lot is a place to put things that are worth discussing, but aren't worth discussing right now in this meeting. It's a side topic or a deep dive that doesn't require everyone. So when one of those distractions comes up, you ask the person bringing it up, hey, this seems to be off track towards whatever your meeting purpose was that you talked about earlier. Should we park this for later discussion? Notice that that depended on already establishing the purpose. And so when you ask that question, typical responses might include, yeah, you're right, let's park this for later, or actually, it's relevant because, and then, or there's just a small part of this that's relevant to our purpose, so let's focus on that. And each of those three responses in different ways redirects focus back to the meeting's main goal. Now, as I said, remember that establishing the meeting's purpose up front is crucial for this. Without it, steering discussions to the parking lot can seem authoritarian. It's just the facilitator exerting power. But with a shared goal, it's seen as facilitating effectively in service of the group. And finally, if you're going to use a parking lot, don't forget to revisit it at the end of the meeting. Allocate time to address those points, determining who should be involved and scheduling follow-up discussions. This approach reassures participants that their points won't be overlooked, which fosters trust in the parking lot system for the future. 
All right, let's wrap up. The final D in David is for decide. Decide what's next. And by the way, you may need to decide how you're going to decide. Right. A big part of the sense of whether a meeting went well or not is how it closes. So don't just let your meeting drift off or run over. As the scheduled time limit approaches, move towards a decision. Now, you might not yet have solved the problem your meeting was supposed to solve, and that's okay sometimes. In that case, make a clear decision about what's next and make sure that that decision is explicitly informed by whatever happened in the meeting so it doesn't feel like just running over. I'll give you an example. In our quarterly OKR planning, we got near the end and realized we were not going to get through all the key results for the things we wanted to focus on. So we used the last few minutes to say, based on what we've learned in this meeting so far, what's the next step that we want to take? And then we made a plan for what we were going to do, and we finished the meeting strong and on time. And as I mentioned, you may need to decide how to decide. Um, any decision you need to make in the group, we want to know in advance how you're going to make it. Um, when, you, when you try to figure out how to decide in the heat of the moment, it's a lot harder to do it. So we like teams to establish a few different ways to decide ahead of time. Otherwise, it'll default to consensus, which is the source of many bad meetings, takes forever, leads to bad results. There are really four ways for a group to decide something, and you should pick one of them as your default, and then talk about when you use a different one. The most efficient of those four is one person just decides. That might not be the best result for a meeting because people will say, well, then why did you even have the meeting? And so making that clear up front is important. So one person just decides. The next one would be one person decides after seeking advice. And that's a great way to have a meeting. You could frame the meeting that way. Our purpose today is for me to get advice from you on the decision that I need to make. Uh, the next third way that you could just choose to decide is majority wins, where we're going to dot vote and whatever the dots say, that's what we're going to do, something like that. And then finally, consensus. And there are a few times when consensus is the right way to decide something. Say, a team working agreement is not really an agreement if everybody's not in consensus on it. But those are actually few and far between. If you have too many meetings and too many of them feel like a waste of time, don't just slash and burn your calendar and declare no meeting Friday. Instead, think like a gardener. Pull the weeds, meetings that don't enable creativity, shared awareness, or productivity, and then improve the rest using the David techniques. If you only fixed one recurring meeting using these techniques, you'd save you and your team hours of wasted time, and you'd improve the outcomes and engagement on your team in a big way. That's worth an hour or two of thoughtful planning. Thank you.